Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Doogie. And away we go. It is Scoop Podcast episode 261 on this Friday, the 25th of October. TGIF Scoop Podcast faithful. Let's begin with the boss of the Wolves and the Lynx, Glenn Taylor. Glenn, how about just your overall excitement for this Wolves season? And heck, I mean, there has to be some excitement coming off that fun game on Wednesday, the victory in Brooklyn. Well, the victory in Brooklyn uh, was just uh, super, not only for the fans, but for the players. Uh, one of the things that uh, was really different were in the, previously in the last couple of years when we got down towards the last five minutes of the game or two minutes of the game, we uh, had difficulty finishing off, and the guys really did a terrific job of finishing off. I mean, do you buy what Carl Anthony Towns was saying post game that the bonding that the team did throughout the summer, the trip to the Bahamas, which I know was not cheap, but do you buy into that the team culture, the chemistry is as good as it's been in a long time, and that helped propel them to a victory on Wednesday? Well, I think it's important what they believe. If they believe it did, uh, then I think it is really helpful. Um, um, I know they worked on it. I know that uh, Kat uh, took on a leadership role. I think that was great. And, uh, And we'll see as the year goes along. How do you think Cat has evolved as a leader? Do you feel like his teammates, you know, grasp, you know, his leadership qualities and really he is the alpha, he is the leader of, of your team? Oh, in my opinion, that he has grown in that job uh, tremendously. But he, he, he still will have an opportunity to get more experience and, and provide even better leadership as he gets older. Glenn, what is your expectation or expectations for the season like is it playoffs or bust you know i think it just might be a little too early for me to uh, put that type of uh measurement on the team yet uh let's let's give it a little while and just see how it goes but then you know it's it has probably going to have more to do about injuries than anything else you're right also just the landscape of the western conference i mean i would argue glenn that the west as deep as it was last year i think it's even deeper this year no, I agree with you. I think that if we thought that there was uh, seven or so legitimate playoff teams last year, it's probably ten this year. What about some of the young guys, Josh Okogie, Jarek Culver? I mean, they didn't play a whole lot. I mean, I think as the year goes on, those guys will get more and more minutes, but are you excited to see how the young guys grow this year? No, that's really important for our success in the future, uh, that we find uh, – a few of these young guys that they just uh, improve each year. And uh, if they stay on the second unit, uh, it would be a lot stronger second unit, but maybe some of them moving up into the starting position. Is the plan to have Okogi around for a while? I know you guys have to make a decision here pretty quick on, on his third-year option. No, I think we would want him around. He's a, a exciting player that works really hard in practice and and really cares, and he's a team player, and I think he's the type of guy you want on your squad. Have you seen the comments from Jeff Teague and from Robert Covington, and both guys coming off injuries from last year, both guys admitting, at least right now, 
that they're not 100 percent? Well, um, I was told that, uh, uh, you know, during practice that the guys uh, uh, will have to do a lot of work to catch up, you know, with the other fellows. And I guess that's just to be expected. I mean, you, you ask guys to be prepared, but quite frankly, it just always takes longer and it's probably harder than they envision. Did you like the game that Andrew Wiggins had on Wednesday? Well, I did. Um, I mean, I think you got to look at it. He he wasn't hitting his outside shots, and I like it that he then, um, you know, noticed that, and he started to take the ball to the basket. And, you know, he's terrific when he does that. Uh, um, you know, so what I liked is that he adopted to something that was uh, really helping the, the team. This is now, what, year 26 of you being in charge of the Wolves? Does it feel like 26 years, Glenn? Nope, it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> Time goes way too fast. How has how has your role evolved over these 26 years? Oh, I don't know if it's evolved. Um, maybe it's just as the more that you're long around basketball and players and stuff, the more you understand uh, the sport. And... Um, and it continually is changing, probably. It isn't a static type of a thing, so you've got to change with it. Um, but I like that part. I'll let you go after two more, Glenn. I know you have to get to another phone call. On the trade front, I mean, do you get the sense that Gerson is constantly on the phone, that, that it's a matter of when, not if, that the roster will, will undergo some more changes? Well, I know that he's on the phone uh, constantly, and he, he says that uh, whenever he has the opportunity to better the team, you know, he'll bring that uh, proposal t- to me, and um, uh, but we're not going to force the issue. Uh, I think it's just in his character uh, that he, he has set some goals for this team, personally for himself, in the future, and uh, that requires him to look at everything that's out there. On the women's side, on the link side, I mean, a no-brainer to offer Cheryl Reeve. I mean, heck, were you almost tempted to offer her a lifetime contract extension? <laughs> Yeah, we talked about that and stuff like that. We agreed that we agreed that well, let's do it for three years. You know, last year, last time we agreed on two years, but uh, you know, this year we both said, uh, you know, what do you think? I said I'm flexible. She said I am too. <laughs> we said how about three? And she said yes, that's great. And so that was very easy. I mean, I think she is such a great tactician. I mean, I've always wondered if she ever has the desire to coach men. So, I mean, you know, has she told you that she wants to be in this role, this job for a long time, or is that sort of open-ended and maybe one day she will coach men? She's, uh, you know, I think it has to do with her family life too, where she has, you know, raising a son and and where she's at. Uh, This is all part of it, I think, at this uh, particular time that she's really satisfied and she feels comfortable in this community and the people and the friends that she has and, and uh, so I think it's more than just a job. I think it's her whole uh, community of friends and, and the raising of a family. And then nothing new on Maya Moore? Nothing new on Maya Moore. I haven't uh, spoke to her. Glenn, thank you so much. You have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. By the way, what do you give out at the Taylor household for Halloween? <laughs> just like everybody else, <laughs> bits of candy. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. 
It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. Note to self, one future Halloween, make the trek down 169, head to the house of one Becky Taylor and Glenn Taylor to get fat on all those good Halloween goodies he hands out each Halloween. I made a mistake. I was remiss in not asking Glenn. Now, his time was limited, as was mine, but and normally we have him on for, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes on the podcast. Sometimes he even gives us more than that. In this particular instance, we had him on for what? About seven minutes or so, but I still was mistaken for not asking him about today being the four-year remembrance of Flip Saunders's passing. So four years ago today, October 25th of 2015, Flip Saunders passed away. Rest in peace, Flip Saunders. His spirit lives on, his passion for life, his passion for basketball certainly lives on, and especially through his son, Ryan Saunders. All right, on Okogie, I asked him about Okogie. It's a no-brainer. They still have a few days, but they will exercise the third-year option on Okogie. On Rosas, he still is on the phone a bunch. I mean, the word is that going back multiple weeks, he still is asking teams about whether they have some interest in Andrew Wiggins. I do think the day comes that Andrew Wiggins does get moved. Now, we might be talking 18 months from now, 24 months from now, but I do think that day does happen. I think it's when not if. Unrelated to the Wiggins talk, I do think we still need to watch the D'Angelo Russell situation in Golden State. Now, this might be a situation where the Warriors make a decision on whether to move Russell like a year from now, or I guess maybe nine months from now next summer. Not at the trade deadline, but I would still keep an eye on Russell, and I'm trying to avoid any hot take, anything overreaction-wise in terms of them losing their first game getting blown out by a really good team. I think the LA Clippers are really, really good. I think we thought the Clippers would be good heading into the year, and we've seen that in their first two games. I don't think the Warriors need to necessarily apologize for getting blown out by maybe the best team in the NBA, but I just wonder how all those pieces fit. I'm just saying I would keep an eye, and that doesn't mean that Russell will land here. I mean, heck, if they put him on the open market, many teams would make a phone call on a 23-year-old All-Star, but we know the Wolves have interest in D'Angelo Russell. I'm just saying worth keeping an eye on. You can monitor D'Angelo Russell, his time with the Warriors, but again, this might be 9 to 12 to, who knows, maybe many more months beyond that. Just something to keep an eye on. There was a report in The Athletic a few days ago that the Pacers were, I don't know if they were listening, if they were making phone calls on Sabonis. I had a couple NBA people tell me the Pacers were never trading Sabonis. Not a surprise that they signed him to an extension. I'm told the Wolves engaged Indiana, seeing if Indiana would have some interest in trading Sabonis going back to June during the pre-draft process, but nothing in the last couple weeks. And again, not surprising that the Pacers signed him to an extension. I was reminded watching the Charlotte Hornets beat the Bulls on Wednesday night that P.J. Washington, A, is a really good player, and B, this was a really good draft. I think there's going to be a lot of good players from this draft, and I guess more so, it reminded me that the Wolves actually tried to engage Charlotte on draft night for that 12th overall pick. Charlotte said no. Charlotte must have known something about wanting P.J. Washington because he was so good the other night in the reports through the preseason. 
through training camp have been really, really good. Now, Washington was not the Wolves' target. I know they liked Sekou Dumboya. They also really liked Nikhil Alexander-Walker. So I think if they ended up with a second first-round pick in June, they would have landed one of those guys. Tyler Hero's workout here wasn't so good. Some red flags on some family dynamics with Hero. Now, heck, you don't evaluate just based on one tough workout here. And certainly Hero at the time had some fans in the Wolves front office. So he would have been under consideration. But my sense is that they had Dumboya and Alexander Walker above Hero, who will be here on Sunday. No Jimmy Butler, by the way, for Miami on Sunday. He is now the proud papa of a baby girl, so he is spending time with his newborn baby. So no Jimmy Butler on Sunday for Miami. But we will see Tyler Hero, who, speaking like Washington, you know, good throughout the preseason and in training camp and in his first game, the reports from Miami are very positive about Tyler Hero. I'm just saying, though, my sense is Hero was not the main target if the Wolves could have acquired a second First round pick. All right, let's now transition. I'm actually going to get back to the Wolves on a topic here in a second, but because his time is limited, let's now get to former Vikings coach Mike Tice. Want to get his thoughts on the Thursday night Vikings victory over Washington. Some overall thoughts on the Vikings at the halfway point, and maybe I'll hit him on some other NFL topics as well. Let's catch up with Mike Tice. Mike, always appreciate catching up. It's now a four-game winning streak for the Vikings. They sit at 6-2 and two at the halfway point. Of their season, they beat the lowly Redskins last night. I guess just overall thoughts as you were watching the Vikings win that game Thursday night against Washington. What stood out to you? Yeah, so uh, Dougie, um, thanks for having me on. But uh, what stood out to me is the run, the running game, the rush game for the Vikings is is for real. Uh, Thirty-eight carries last night, 161 yards. But the most important yards is at the end of the game there, when I needed that extra touchdown for them to cover. They. <laughs> They uh, they did a great job of just pounding the rock at will, uh, running the ball for four, five, six, and more yards at the end. And when you can run the ball, I don't care if it's against the Washington Redskins or the Little Sisters of the Poor, when you can run the ball when the other team knows you're going to try to run the ball, that's a really good rushing game. And that's where it all starts for the Vikings. And they're doing a great job with that. Of course, Kirk Cousins, you know, you say he's been hot. He, he wasn't great last night. But let me tell you what he was. He was 23 for 26. He was efficient. He had no interceptions, no turnovers. And I've been pushing this since week one. Uh, you can't turn the ball over in the National Football League and win. They had the one fumble by Diggs, uh, unfortunately, because Diggs had a great night. But... Uh, I like where the Vikings are at right now. I like uh, their defense, of course. Um, tell me how to pronounce this, because I've been chewing it up on my show and beating his name up. Danielle Hunter. It's not Danielle Hunter. It is Daniel Hunter. Daniel Hunter. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Daniel Hunter. Yes, Daniel Hunter, to me, is a difference maker, one of the better pass rushers in the league. Um, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for the Vikings, and not just because uh, they took care of me for so many years and, and started my career in coaching, but because I think they are legitimately one of the top three, four, or five uh, teams in the NFC in uh, in this season. Who else is in that, I guess, pecking order-wise? I mean, when you look at the landscape of the NFC, and it's uber-competitive, I mean, I guess, pecking order-wise... Do you have New Orleans, San Francisco, Seattle, anybody else? Green Bay, maybe, because they beat the Vikings. Although, remember, Cousins threw that, that 
interception there late in the game, I mean, they were in a position to win that game week two at Lambeau. But I guess when you look at the landscape of the NFC, Mike, pecking order-wise, I guess who do you put above the Vikings? Well, I, I actually have done this exercise with Coach Del Rio to, on today's show, Friday's show. We're oh, talking nice. Friday. Yeah. And I did it uh, with Nate Burleson. I like the Saints, number one, because in the NFC, because the Saints have made me look bad twice and <laughs> picking against them. And for the same reason I screwed up uh, earlier on the Packers is because their defense is much better than I would have imagined, and they're doing a great job down there on defense. I have the Saints, number one. My number two team, I don't know that anybody I've seen on any show has, and I picked them to beat the 49ers this week. I have Carolina as my number two team. Really? I do, and I have the Green Bay Mm. Packers as number three, although I think the Vikings could have had a different uh, result in that game earlier in the year against the Packers Mm -hmm. if we don't get that cheap offensive pass interference call in the end zone, which uh, I still can't imagine how that was called. And then I have the Vikings as four at six and two, and I have, (laughs) and I'm sure nobody else does, but I have the 49ers as number five. Well, I mean, is it because we just can't trust Jimmy Garoppolo as good as that defense is? And, I mean, heck, there's, there's continuity, right? I mean, Shanahan's been there for a few years now. A lot of those pieces have been in place now for a while and that defense is legit Mike you know that that offensive line is good but does it come down to the quarterback and just not being able to trust the quarterback all that much there's two reasons why I don't have the 49ers higher one is because they don't score enough points and two I don't think they have enough passing game now they went out and and got the receiver Sanders uh from uh the uh, excuse me the Broncos and uh uh, so I think that is going to help them, but that's not going to change things overnight. Uh, the other reason, uh, you know, you talk about the 49ers and this great defense, and they're sitting there going, I heard a show this morning, someone said, and they have created 13 turnovers. Well, you know what? They're playing Carolina, and Carolina's created 15 turnovers. So I think the 49ers are getting a lot of love. Uh, I'm looking for another stat that I did. The schedule, and, and you know, it's not anyone's fault for the schedule because the league makes the schedule. But the 49ers are 6-0, and and the teams they've played are 11-29. and Carolina's 4-2, and and the teams they played are 18-21-1. So uh, you talk about New England, they haven't played anybody. 49ers, to me, have not really played anybody. And, uh, and that's where I'm at with those teams. Well, I mean, how do you look at the Vikings then in that regard, Mike? Because technically, as we sit here on Friday afternoon, the 25th of October, they technically don't have a victory against a winning team. Now, Philadelphia is knocking on the doorstep of that. Oakland, I think, is right at 500. I mean, winning at Detroit, I don't think is easy. I think the Lions are are much improved. But technically, if you look at the Vikings' six victories, you know, the Giants, not good. The Redskins, not good. The Falcons, not good. It's not like the Vikings have a bunch of impressive victories. Well, the Vikings have a lot of talent. And uh, the Vikings went through a little bit of uh, mental, uh, emotional transition early in the season when they lost a couple of really tough games to uh, good football teams. At least Chicago was good at the time. And, uh, and some of the guys didn't like the fact that they were doing it the way they were doing it. But... Uh, I give it to Coach Zimmer, Mike, uh, for saying this is what we're going to be. We're going to play great defense. We're going to run the ball, 
and we're going to play action. And I kept saying all year, if you go back and check out my shows, my tweets, that this offense, once you start running it and you can play action, you're going to get big plays over the top, and they're getting the big plays over the top. Now, they might not have gotten as many big plays over the top in the game last night, but it was an efficient game, an efficient win, uh, only the one turnover uh, on a short week. Uh, but uh, the Vikings lost two close games to two good football teams at the time, and, the, and it just goes back to uh, what I said a minute ago, the talent level. I think the talent level on the Vikings is superior to a lot of teams out there in the National Football League and certainly in the National Football Conference. Is there also, I mean, I guess to come back to what I said, Mike, is there also something to be said about how you win? Regardless of who the opponent is, when you score 42 points at Detroit and Stephon Diggs had a ball go through his hands, I mean, they easily could have had 49 points last Sunday at Detroit. The way they manhandled Philadelphia, the way they manhandled the New York Giants, is there something to be said about just dominating teams regardless of who the opponent is? Now, you know what, uh, Doogie, more importantly what I look at is, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm going to say in the Vikings' two losses, they were in the minus in the turnover differential. And if you're going to play the style of ball that the Vikings have chosen to play, which the 49ers have chosen to play, uh, then you cannot turn the football over. And uh, because uh, I'll tell you why. Because both teams, and I said this during training camp, both teams, neither team, are excellent drop-back passing teams. If either, if either team, the Vikings or the 49ers, I'm talking about two top teams in the NFC, get into a drop-back passing game, uh, they're going to struggle. They're going to have a hard time because I don't know that either offensive line can hold up or, as you mentioned, I don't know that Garoppolo, Garoppolo can get it done uh, throwing the drop-back pass uh, with the receiver's now, I like Kittle. I like to tight end for the 49ers. Mm-hmm. But I get a little nervous, Doogie, when I look at stats and the top receiver by yards on a football team, which, let me say this, is the same thing for Baltimore, too, is the tight end and not the wide receiver. All right, so where where do you have Seattle and Dallas then, Mike? I mean, the NFC is so loaded. So if you have the Niners behind the Vikings and Carolina – Way up there. I mean, where, pecking order-wise, do the Seahawks and do the Cowboys fall? Well, I told Coach Del Rio this. I'm a little bit mad at Dallas because in one of my picks of the week on my show, uh, Dallas made me look bad, and they lost They lost the game, and I didn't uh, give out a winner. So I'm, I, I got a little bit of a chip on my shoulder for Dallas. But Dallas is, like Del Rio said on my show, Dallas is loaded with talent. And I have Dallas 6, and I have the Seahawks 7. The problem with the Seahawks is I don't know that defensively against a good offensive football team, especially a team that has tight ends, they have problems covering the tight end. Uh, I don't know that the Seahawks have that kind of defense. Yeah, they have Russell Wilson, and they're throwing the ball well, but I think there's a couple things wrong with Seattle right now. One, defensively, I don't think they have it. Number two, offensively, I think that what they are, they don't want to be. They want to be something else. They want to be the Vikings. They, they want to run the ball, play action, and grind it out and be tough and physical and keep their defense off the field. 
where the best thing that the Seattle Seahawks do right now is throw the football. A little bit more on Cousins, Mike. So, Okay, so 23 of 26 last night. You think about the three incompletions, two throwaways, one drop. Like, he is incredibly accurate right now. And on the flip side, you think about the second half last night, you know, the interception Dwayne Haskins threw in Washington. Who knows? I mean, Washington had a chance. I think if Case Keenum doesn't go down, Washington absolutely had a chance to really make a run at that game last night. But then Haskins plays the second half, and it's, you know, he's a rookie. I get it. So, you know, it's apples and oranges in many ways, Mike, comparing Cousins to a rookie in Dwayne Haskins. But, you know, you look at that interception, Anthony Harris, the interception, that was a really high ball. Terry McLaurin was open. He should have completed that pass. The accuracy wasn't there. When you think about Cousins, especially this run since the loss in Chicago, this four-game run, he's been incredibly accurate, hasn't he? I think he's done an outstanding job. I think he's done a great job of answering the critics, which if you go back again, and, and I just want to defend what I've put out there. Oh, I know. And look, yeah. and look at what I've put out there. You've I always been a fan. A fan. I, am, yeah. I am a fan. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the best things he does is throw the deep ball. And with the way that they have set up the offense, with the uh, Stefanski and the crew have set up the offense with the hard run and the hard play actions and moving the pocket and creating a different launch point, this is this is what's working. And this is what's working in the NFL. And, uh, you know, that's what the Rams want to be. They want to be run it and play action off the run. Uh, it hasn't worked for them to this point because they can't get the running game going. But, you know, they're not, they're not an under 500 team. But I don't think the Rams are in that conversation as being an elite. The Vikings just have to stay true to who they are. You know, and then also you didn't have Adam Thielen out there, who is actually the quarterback's, uh, you know, blankie. You know, he's his, he's his blankie. He's mm-hmm. his comfort. He's his comfort zone. And so, I think it was a nice job. I'd like to see, but I don't coach there, so I'm just talking as a fan. I'd like to see the tight ends get more involved. And I thought there was a conscious effort last night to get Kyle involved and uh, Irv uh, Smith uh, Jr. involved. Uh, and so I like that, but I, I do think that that's coming. Uh, just when I thought, uh, you know, Diggs wasn't involved in the game a couple weeks ago, he gets a bunch of bombs. Mm-hmm. I was actually mad at myself for not predicting that because I saw that coming. But uh, I like where the Vikings are at. I like where they're at. I like their body language. Um, I'm a real big fan, as you know, and I think that uh, things are going to continue to get better for the Vikings and. Uh, they have some tough games coming up, though, but they get another crack at Green Bay, which is always a good thing. Correct. I mean, at Kansas City next, although we don't know. I mean, heck, the Chiefs, I mean, you look at the Sunday night game against the Packers. Did you see all the guys that are out for the Chiefs on Sunday night, Mike? I mean, it's Clark, it's Jones, it's Fisher, it's Fuller, in addition to Mahomes. Like, the Vikings might be getting the Chiefs at a perfect time. Then you go to Dallas. Then you've got Denver here. Then it's the bye, but you've got a Monday night game in your neck of the woods in Seattle. You do have Green Bay here late in the season on Monday night. You've got Chicago here. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say, Mike, that looking at the second half of the Vikings schedule, it is more difficult than the first half. Well, it always is, too, because those teams that you're talking about that are good, uh, the good teams get better as the season progresses, and the bad teams tend to get worse. And so, yeah, it's going to be harder on the Vikings. But, you know, uh, unfortunately, I, I guess fortunately or unfortunately, Doogie, when they play the Seahawks on Monday night here in Seattle where I live, 
I'll be in Minnesota for Thanksgiving weekend, so <laughs> I'm going to watch it on TV. Guess where I'll be? I'll be at Bunny's. Oh, I know where you'll be. Do you still have the parking spot there? No, they took it, but I got the sign here in my studio. <laughs> I love it. I stole the sign. So, no, uh, we're, uh, you know, I think we're in a good spot. I think the Vikings are in a good spot. I think they're starting to believe in the, in the things that they're, they're doing. Uh, hopefully the fans are. Uh, you know, like I said a long time ago, enjoy the season. Uh, there's a lot of season left, but I'd take 6-2, and two, Doogie, at the halfway point uh, over 2-6, and six, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely, and I'm telling you, I mean, it was 21-16. Remember, the Packers go up 21 nothing early in the season. The Vikings come all the way back. They drive it all the way to the Packers' 8-yard line with like four minutes to go. They run the ball right down Green Bay's throat, Mike. Then on first and goal, they make the decision to throw. I wasn't anti the decision. Cousins just needs to know to throw that ball away. He throws that jump ball. That was more like a 60-40 or 70-30 ball for the Packers defender, not his receiver. The Packer comes down with the ball. I forget who, King or somebody, comes down with the ball, and the Packers end up running out the clock, able to run out the clock. But I'm telling you, I mean, the Vikings easily could have won that game. We could be talking about 7-1 and one right now. Yeah, well, that's the way the season goes. There's so many games you look back on and say, gosh, if we – you know, Chuck Knox, God rest his soul, used to say there was three or four plays in a game that are going to make the difference in the game. And if you go back over the years and look at every loss and every win, uh, I'm sure that the teams that win the game see three or four plays that they made, and then the teams that lost the game see three or four plays that they didn't make. And that's the, the history, and that's the background on the National Football League, and that's just the way it goes. And so in that particular day, Doogie, they didn't make the plays, but as of late, as you said, four in a row, they've been making those plays. On your time as head coach here, Mike, what, what loss eats at you the most? Well, the one in Arizona on the uh, Hail Mary, you know, the force. Yeah, out. yeah. That's the one that about ruined my life. So, uh, yeah, that was a bad one. So not even the playoff loss, I forget the score, but you guys win the playoff game. Where? At Lambeau, right? Then the next game, that one doesn't eat at you the most? No, that doesn't eat at me. The one that eats at me is the one in Arizona on the last on the last ditch effort by them that uh, is actually not a rule anymore. In fact, I'll never forget getting a call from the league saying, hey, you're like this. We changed the rule. There's no more force out. We thought of you when we changed the rule. I was like, thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me hit you with this one, Mike. Two of the Vikings' weaknesses, I would say, are penalties. I mean, I think they're they're top five in, in most penalized, you know, in terms of, you know, actual penalties, penalty yards. I mean, they're right there at the top of the league. Then fumbles. I don't know where they are fumbles-wise, but they're up there. But is there some randomness to both of those? Like, you know, the crew has a lot to do with how many penalties are called. I mean, heck, right, holding could be called in almost darn near every play, so there's some randomness to when the flags are actually thrown. Then on fumbles, I mean, oftentimes that's a 50-50 ball. Even when the ball's on the ground, you could easily recover it yourself. So is there some, is there some randomness to those two where, where the Vikings have some weaknesses in terms of penalties and fumbles? Well, you know, uh, penalties. Uh, you talk about penalties, and uh, I, I really have – uh, not a believer in that penalties is go- are going to cost you a game. Uh, never really have been, never been shown a stat that uh, uh, penalties cost you a game. In fact, I'm trying to pull up something right here. I'm 
pretty sure that uh, New England Patriots in the top five in penalties, but I could be wrong. But I don't think that really, I don't think that's something the fans need to worry about. The pre-snap penalties are the ones that you have to worry about, the ones where, you know, you're jumping off sides, illegal motion, lining up off sides, jumping off sides on defense. Those are the ones I think you have to worry about, and I don't see a lot of those with the Vikings. Yeah, we had some holding calls the other day. Uh, my Diane was yelling out the number every time they say, flag's down, and she poor, what's his name, Eflin, Eflin? Yeah, Pat Elfline, yeah. Yeah, he had a rough day, but uh, penalty-wise. But, uh, you know, uh, that's that's the only thing that I see as far as penalties is that don't do not do the ones before the before the ball snap that everything will be okay. How do you analyze the Vikings' defense, Mike? I mean, it's not often we see that defense give up a 30 spot like they did on Sunday to Detroit, give up only nine against the lowly Redskins. I mean, for the most part, I look at points against. They've been pretty darn good outside of that Detroit game. Yeah, they have. And, and defensively, of course, Coach Zimmer, that's his baby. I think defensively there's so much talent there that, uh, you know, sometimes you get into one of those games where uh, the other team knows you. They're a division team. They know some weaknesses. Uh, they continue to attack them. Some things don't go your way. Uh, I thought in the, in the division game against Detroit, it was one of those, it doesn't matter what it takes to win. If it has to be a high-scoring game, it has to be a high-scoring game. Uh, I don't think you're going to go in there and shut out any division opponent at any time soon. So uh, I don't worry about all that. I think getting a victory in the National Football League is the key. Uh, how you get it, it's going to change week to week. It all depends on rhythm. It all depends on who's having a good day. Uh, it all depends on who's got a bellyache and who's at their best. And there's so many intangibles that go into, you know, having your team at its peak each and every week. That's why New England is so impressive that, you know, every week they put out a great effort. And how they do it, uh, you know, it's unbelievable. But I think the Vikings are in a good, uh, right now in a good mode. It seems like the body language, like I said, there's a lot of smiles on the sideline. There's a lot of people getting along. Uh, they just got to keep it up. I'll let you go after this, Mike. What game excites you the most on Sunday? Like when you're sitting down in your Barca lounger enjoying, you know, all the games on Sunday, but what game in particular will you be locked in on the most? Well, I've been talking about it for two days. Uh, I'm really fired up about Carolina going into the 49ers and mm. beating the 49ers. Mm-hmm. I think Carolina, uh, you know, although it's been done with Kyle Allen, who's won four in a row at quarterback, They've got a lot of weapons on offense, and it doesn't just include Christian McCaffrey. I think Coach North Turner has done a tremendous job with Kyle Allen. Uh, their defense, uh, like I said, you know, people are talking about the 49ers defense, but the but the Carolina Panthers have, have uh, created 15 turnovers on defense, and so I'm looking forward to that game, and I like Carolina in that one a lot. You know what? And as good as Cook is, is McCaffrey actually maybe the best running back in the NFL right now? And nothing against Cook. I mean, maybe Cook is number two, but maybe McCaffrey's number one? Well, maybe Cook is uh, the number one running back. But number, Chris, And now they're getting Cook involved in the pass game, which is nice uh, to see. But uh, they're not really, except for screens, they're not really designing any you know, routes for Cook, but I think Christian McCaffrey's a federal offensive player. How's that? Well, and that's because he can run routes. You know, I mean, he he can do it all. I mean, is he a better blocker than Dalvin Cook, too? 
Well, I don't know about that. I don't really follow that with a running back until third down. But I, I think McCaffrey it can go out in the slot where I don't think Cook can. Mike, remind folks where they can find your podcast this week, Nate Burleson, Jack Del Rio, Gary Stevens, and where people can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at OddsNNsPod, and they can follow me on uh, on YouTube on Saturdays at, at the same thing, Odds and Ends uh, Podcast with Mike Tice. And on uh, you can get on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and you can get the podcast on Fridays. Thanks for having me on, dude. You got it, Mike. Love you. Thank you so much. All right, bro. Be good. The one, the only former Vikings head coach, Mike Tice. Let's do this. I'll get to some more notes. I've emptied out my notebook to some extent already here in the first 35 minutes. I'll have a few more notes, but let me replay a conversation I had the other day with good buddy, one of the kindest human beings, if not the kindest human being I know, one of the kindest human beings on the planet, Jeff Munichy, vice president of fan experience for the Wolves. I sat down with Jeff to go down memory lane because this is the 30-year anniversary. I got into this with Sam Mitchell a couple months back when Sam was on the podcast, but you think about it, 30 years ago this fall is when the Wolves began play in the NBA. You think about, what, November 8th, 1989, the 30-year anniversary of that date coming up, that first regular season home game, Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Jordan nearly put 50 points on the Wolves in that win that night for Chicago. Then a couple nights later, Charles Barkley and the Sixers were at the Metrodome. The Wolves win that game. They beat Barkley. And the Sixers in overtime, Ty Corbin, Tony Campbell, go up and down the list of Wolves who had good nights that particular night. The Bill Musselman first season. Sometimes we forget that the Wolves actually played a season in the Metrodome. They set the all-time attendance record. Target Center was still being constructed, so the Wolves played that first season in the Metrodome before moving to their current home, Target Center. So anyway, I went down memory lane with Jeff Munichy on the Wolves and 30 years ago. And by the way, Jeff is the lone remaining full-time employee from that 89-90 season. He was, what, 22 years old at the time. 22 years old. In 1989, Jeff Munichy worked for the Wolves then, and he still works for the Wolves. At that time, they had 30-something full-time employees. The Wolves now have 170 full-time employees. The only full-time employee that started in 1989 with the Wolves that still remains today is Jeff Munichy. And another, by the way, I forgot to put a mic on myself. This is actually an interview I did for a future Channel 5 TV piece, but my voice comes through Jeff's microphone, so hopefully you can bear with it because he's got a bunch of cool stories. So anyway, here's my conversation with Jeff Munichy. Let's just start, Jeff, with... When I say 30 years ago, I mean, it's pretty much about, like, this week, 30 years ago, this week. You know, you think about just the spectacle of the Metrodome, the first year for you yeah. guys. I guess just when I bring that up, what, what comes to mind? Yeah, you, you know, for me, you know, it, it, it's funny because you talk to all the young staff here. I, I think sometimes they think of Abe Lincoln walking through the snow to school with some of my stories, but they do get a kick out of the stories because I always talk about we actually did this business without computers, without cell phones. So that was amazing times. Um, but you think back to it, and first opportunity, the NBA is coming back to Minnesota, coming back to Minnesota. First chance to see Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan. It was thrilling. And, I mean, <clears throat> you think about just, like, you think about that team. I mean, so many different personalities. I mean, relationships you still have to this day. I mean, guys that went on to nice coaching careers, guys that are still coaching to this day. You think about some of those personalities 
you know, just a lot of things to remember about that 89-90 season. It was. It was special. You know, just, and I always love all the first, you know, the, the first day of practice, uh, the first game, the first exhibition game, the first victory, the first playoff win, whatever it may be. But you think back to those guys, and you're right, still to this day, I'm still pretty close with Scotty Brooks. And, and when I see Tony Campbell, and we have these guys come back for alumni events, there's a special bond there. So it's pretty cool. What did you think when you first heard, okay, we're going to play this first year, at the Metrodome while Target Center is being constructed. Were you thinking, can this work? Will this work? Like, what were your feelings heading into that first year in the Metrodome? Yeah, great, great question. You know, so back then, um, there, there wasn't a team that was going to play in a building that big again. I suppose you could say the Spurs ended up playing in the Alamo Dome. Um, but it's, it's kind of what people didn't really, really know. And so we're, we're going to put a basketball court down the third baseline, which we did. And then we got into this mode of, you know what, we can break the all-time attendance record. So we started thinking about, okay, well, where else can we put people? Can they even see up in right field? Can they see in center field? And people are so enthused about the NBA being back to Minnesota that suddenly started having crowds of 36,000, 42,000, 49,000. And we broke the record. It's pretty cool. I mean, and that record isn't going anywhere. What what does that record mean to you? Yeah, it's cool. You know, obviously, we haven't probably had the success we'd all like to have winning uh, championships or titles yet. However, we've had some great moments. But you go back to that and that group of 35 full-time staff members all charging together to just say, hey, this is something that can never be done again. So let's go for it. So, yeah, it's a million seventy-two thousand, never be broke again. Pretty cool record. Does it blow you away that you're the last remaining of, what did you say, 35 full-time at that time? Yeah, so when I started, there's 35 people on staff, including nine sales reps, who I'm still very close with today. Um, and so lifelong friends. So today we have 170 on staff. So the evolution of the sports industry is pretty dramatic, pretty extreme, much more siloed. So you look back, and though those are special days, special times for all of us, just to say that we did this together without computers, without cell phones. You actually had to have talk to people. Uh, it was amazing. And you just have, didn't have the technology to offset some of the things you have today. I mean, we know how, how outgoing you are, how, how much you interact with, with a number of, of fans, and those fans are your friends. I mean, how often does that first year at the Metrodome come up? It's great. You know, every once in a while we'll see one of our longtime season ticket members wearing perhaps that old satin jacket coming through the building or, or a Christian Leitner jersey or a Scott Brooks jersey. It's, it's pretty cool. And, you know, a lot of those people collect memorabilia. So you think about some of their basements and the things that they've done where they've collected, whether it's bobbleheads or the KG rubber duck way back in the day. That was in the Metrodome uh, year. But some, some of the memorabilia that people have caught over the course of time, it's pretty cool to go back and, and talk about those days. I mean, so yeah, so like way up there. Did you ever have a chance to actually, I mean, I'm sure you went up there, but did you ever like actually watch some game action? way up in the rafters? I did. I went to the very top of right field, went to the very top of center field. I sat with some season ticket members and fans. I mean, the players look like, you know, you know miniature figures of some sort. But it was such a spectacle as a thing. You just wanted to be here. You wanted to be inside the Metrodome, and you wanted to see the NBA. And I don't think people really minded. It was $3.50 for a ticket. Uh, people just wanted to be a part of it. They kept their ticket stub, probably have it on a wall someplace back in their bedroom now. So it was pretty cool days. What was that first time that Michael Jordan played like? Yeah, it's... And you're rhyming magic, but, you know, MJ may be the greatest player of all time. Debatable, but, but I'm thinking maybe at that time with the Bulls at, at their pinnacle, 
he might have been the guy that people really wanted to see. For sure. And I had an opportunity, I'll never forget it as long as I live. I happened to be walking down one of the tunnels and, and cutting through to a different part of the Metrodome to meet some season ticket members. And all of a sudden he came out of the locker room. There he was. And I almost, I froze. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's Michael Jordan. What do I do? You know, I'm a 22-year-old kid just trying to figure out life much more than anything else. And here he comes. And, you know, I gave him a nod. You know, how you doing? He gave me a nod back. So that was pretty cool. Then uh, there's also an opportunity the next year, the first year we played in the Target Center, where the autograph situation was much different back then, whereas today you have, you have a lot of policies and procedures and things. So back then, if you wanted a signature for someone or a charitable uh, foundation, or maybe even just yourself, you just went and asked. So I'll never forget this, is that there's an opportunity to get a couple signed items for a couple season ticket members. And then our PR director at the time just said, hey, you should include something for yourself. So he walked into the locker room, and there he is. And the aura that was around him is unlike anything I've ever felt. So he looks up. We say, hey, Michael, uh, introduce myself. Uh, I had a couple things I wanted to sign, have you sign for one of our season ticket members. He goes, okay, okay. Is there anything for yourself? I said, uh, yeah, the third item is. He goes, okay, I can tell if you're lying, so I'm going to sign it. And that was my dealings, first dealing with Michael Jordan. So it was pretty crazy, pretty crazy. I mean, nerve-wracking, too. Nerve-wracking, yeah. Right. My palms are sweating. That was, was a mess. Uh, what was that like that first year at the Target Center? Because there had to be all sorts of excitement that you have your own arena, but then to come off that high of the Metrodome, that had to be an interesting time. It was. And, you know, it was so interesting. It was in the Metrodome, technically we had 15,000 lower-level seats. Well, you come over to Target Center, and even though we explained it, communicated it to great level of detail, you have 8,800 seats in the lower level. So people didn't quite figure out that that meant they were going to the upper level or 200 level as they moved over to Target Center. So we had a lot of long conversations about that uh, with different season ticket members. But, but at the time, it was the, the, the shiniest, newest toy in the NBA. And so obviously every time a new arena gets built, it's kind of, yep, you, you know, you just take one step further. But at the time, it was the best. So you had 15,000 season tickets in the, uh, season ticket members in the building were selling out, I think, almost every game that year. I think we sold 38 of the 41 games out. It was electric. Um, that year, we probably didn't win as many games as we had hoped, and we kind of took a little tailspin, and then you have the KG era coming on. But it, it was cool. It was great memories. And, you know, at the time, Target Center was considered the best arena in, in basketball. Can you visualize that, that first win at the Metrodome? Would that have presumably been actually an exhibition game or maybe a lost exhibition game? Maybe it was a regular season game? It's actually a regular season game. Can you visualize that first victory at the Metrodome? Absolutely can. Philadelphia 76ers, Charles Barkley, and uh, Tyrone Corbin has a huge day. Tony Campbell has a huge day. Our fans are going bonkers. And so obviously the Sixers with Barkley, and uh, they're, they're pretty good. They're a playoff team. And so to get that first win with, with Ty Corbin, Tony Campbell, uh, all our vets, you know, I'll just never forget the joy that our fans had that day and how electric it was inside the Metrodome. Did the players, the coaching staff, did, did the front office staff, did they embrace that experience? from your sense at the Metrodome? I think so. I, I think it was a mentality of it was kind of us against the world. You know, Coach Musselman brought in all the guys that played for him in Albany. You know, I think we had six players that played for him at Albany. So they had this kind of CBA mentality of just like, hey, we weren't the chosen ones to get perhaps drafted or perhaps make an NBA roster, so let's do this together, play together. And so it was definitely embracing, definitely embracing the business side as well. I told you October 24th of 1989 that 
October 24th of 2019, you'd still be doing a lot of the same things you did then. What would you have told me? Oh boy, you know, for us, it's all about the experience with with our guests and our fans. And so, one one kind of funny story is that our ticket company uh, was were not able to deliver the tickets on time for that first exhibition game. So again, you go back to no cell phones, no computers. We have 36,000 people with tickets coming to the Metrodome for the first game. So in two days, we had to call or at least get a phone call into every single member or fan that owned a ticket saying, please come to Will Call early. Come today. Please come early. Well, I think in most cases, people figure, well, they're not talking to me. So... Uh, at, for a 7 o'clock game, uh, Magic Johnson and the Lakers are coming to town. Uh, 36,000 people have tickets. At the start of the tip, we had about 8,000 people in the building because everybody's out at will call. And so from a guest experience standpoint, we failed miserably. So that's something we laugh about today, but at the time, that was a tough night to go through. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, you think about back then, are you just banging your head against the wall and... Just how much has your role, your job evolved over these 30 years? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. Um, I, I would say still today it's all about the guests. It's all about our season ticket members and our fans, and it's a mindset to serve our guests that come in and decide to spend their disposable income with us in a really crowded marketplace today. Back then there wasn't quite as many teams, um, you know, even HDTV, all the theater and the arts, all the different great things that are going on in the Minneapolis-St. Paul marketplace. It's different. But still the mindset to serve our guests is still there again sincere apologies for forgetting to put a microphone on during that conversation for a future channel five piece the channel five piece should air sometime in the next two weeks I actually went through a bunch of our archives earlier today pulled a bunch of video from that 89 90 season it is interesting to go back and watch all that video and what people are wearing and just the spectacle that was 45,000 people at times in the metrodome watching a basketball game. So, yeah, definitely fun times back in the fall of 1989. So much appreciation to Jeff Munichy, Wolves VP of Fan Experience, for going down memory lane. He was with the Wolves then. He remains with the Wolves now. All right, a few notes. The Vikings will have a scouting representation at the Gophers-Maryland game on Saturday at TCF Bank Stadium on P.J. Fleck. It's when, not if, that they'll have to give him a raise you look at what the Purdue coach is making, what some other coaches are making. I was actually texting with a couple Regent friends of mine. The Regents have heard from you, the fan. They've heard from a bunch of fans saying, hey, it's time to give PJ a raise. Now, there's some budgetary issues over there, but as one region told me, we seem to always find a way. So if PJ Fleck wants to be here for the foreseeable future and he wants a raise, I'm just saying I think the U will find a way to get PJ Fleck. A raise. I was texting with one insider. He wouldn't quite tell me if Kamal Martin is in or out tomorrow, but did say, hey, don't forget about that bye week. So the bye week next week would be a great week for Martin to get that knee right, and he could be good to go for that Penn State game on November 9th. I'm hopeful to track down Matt Limegrover next week. I was emailing with Matt. Matt is the run game coordinator and offensive line coach of the Penn State Nittany Lions. Heck, for the sake of November 9th, let's hope Penn State wins tomorrow. Go Nittany Lions at Michigan State. Go Gophers. That's my alma mater. I can root for them. I can have a bias. I want them to win. I don't have to be objective when it comes to my alma mater. So Gophers over Maryland, Penn State over Michigan State. Let's set up that 8-0 versus 8-0 matchup on November 9th at TCF Bank Stadium. But on Martin, 
You know, I think it would make some sense to let him rest up. But truly, I don't know. As I'm sitting here on Friday afternoon, the 25th of October, I don't know if Kamal Martin is in or out. Just wanted to pass along, though, what one insider told me. Also, there are some tickets available for Gophers, Maryland. I was talking to our meteorologist, Ren Claire, and she tells me like 55 to 58 a little bit of a breeze, but sunny conditions Saturday afternoon here in the Twin Cities. So it should be a spectacular fall Saturday. So it should be fantastic at kickoff. 2.30, the Gophers and Maryland. What else did I write down? NFL scouts have been all over Collegeville to check out the offensive lineman for St. John's. Ben Barch, I was texting with head coach Gary Fashing. He told me just about everybody has had a representative through to at least watch film or a practice. Not so much games, but... NFL teams doing their homework on the St. John's offensive lineman, Ben Barch. On Concordia St. Paul, they have a couple pro prospects, including senior wide receiver Marcus Gustafson. He's been dealing with some injuries, but he's almost all the way back, so teams have their eyes on him. I know the Lions, the Bears, the 49ers, and Vikings have been by Concordia St. Paul practice in the last month to five to six weeks or so. Also, junior pass rusher Chris Garrett. He's one heck of a story. He's come from... Not much in the Milwaukee area. He's fought through a ton of adversity. He had some Division One interest out of high school but could not qualify academically. He led Division Two in sacks last year as a sophomore, and he's having another phenomenal season. Know that name, maybe more so a year from now in terms of his pro prospects, but get to know that name, Chris Garrett from Concordia, St. Paul. I had a note written down about Alexander Madison. Had a good game last night against the Redskins. A lot of us, and I was in this boat, thought, hey, the Vikings jumped the gun taking a running back in the third round last April. Well, the Vikings knew something. He can play. Also know this, the two other organizations that showed a lot of interest. In fact, the Vikings didn't show a ton of pre-draft interest, didn't reach out to his camp all that much of the Vikings masked their interest, but two organizations that showed a ton of interest, the Dallas Cowboys and New Orleans Saints. When you think about progressive, smart front offices, I think of the Saints. I think of the Cowboys. You think about the jobs those two front offices have done drafting players the last few years. So it says something, and the Vikings have a great track record as well. So just tells you that the Vikings were on to something when other smart organizations knew all about the potential of one Alexander Madison. I checked with a Twins contact the other day if they've set dates for organizational meetings yet. They have not, although that should happen relatively soon. I'm trying to think if I jotted down anything else. Yeah, nothing nothing too pertinent. So at the 52 and a half minute mark or so, let's call it a podcast. Scoop Podcast episode 261 is in the books. Have a great weekend, everyone. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number. 
the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.